The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What happens when a country's mythology goes rogue? And then we're headed back to Spain for part two of our Fat Extractors series. Spain seems to have a problem with people who eat human fat. And today we're going to take a look at a serial killer who did just that. But he did it while he was a werewolf. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I'm super sore. You know, so today was jujitsu day. I'm still a noob. I'm still a little baby. A little baby jujitsu person. So while they were all doing moves, getting each other in headlocks, rolling around on the ground, I was falling down on my butt. I have to do a bunch of things where I fall down and then get back up, and it's called a technical stand-up. Technical, technical something. Getting back up. And then I had to do a thing called the shrimp, which is what it sounds like. You lay on your back and then you bridge your hips, turn to your side, curl up like a shrimp, and move your body. Now, you're like, Jason, that's that's ridiculous. You're a grown man. You're 43 years old. Why are you pretending to be a shrimp on a Tuesday morning? Listen, guys, my body's sore. It's going to be even worse tomorrow. All I did was drill today. For a half hour, I did falls and technical stand-ups. And then the other half hour, I shrimped across the floor. My body is already sore. I can just imagine what it's going to be like tomorrow. The reason why I'm sharing this story with you guys is three weeks ago, I thought shrimp was something you eat. It is still something you eat, but I'm learning these things. I'm doing stuff with my body that I never thought about doing. And as I was squirming across the floor, pretending to be a shrimp, I had a huge smile on my face. I knew I was going to be sore. I knew I was pushing my body in ways that was making it hurt now and going to hurt in the future. But guys, do something different this month. December. Not November, it's almost done. That's my challenge to you guys. Let's all do something different before the end of the year. Don't wait for a New Year's resolution. Whatever it is, just do something different. A hobby you've thought about looking into, do something different in the month of December. Let's call it different December. Do something that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Healthy. Don't be like, I've always wanted to do heroin. Don't do that. But find something. And let's do it together. That sounded wrong. Let's go ahead, though. We are going... The inspirational speech is done. We are headed out to start our episode. We are going to East Timor. East Timor, what time is it, you ask? The beginning of time. Huh? Huh? Didn't expect that. So we're not going back in time to like the 1400s or the 1100s. We're going back to the nothing hundreds. The world is Pangea. It's just a big old bunch of stuff. Okay? Don't don't ask specifics because this is a creation myth. So there's some weird stuff going on. 
there's a tiny little crocodile living in a swamp, right? And he's like, uh, there's not a lot of food here. Well, there's a lot of food here, but there's not enough for me to get big and strong like I know I should be. I'm going to go to the ocean and eat giant fish. So the crocodile starts leaving the swamp. But before he reaches the ocean, starts to dry out. And he's like, oh, this was this was a poorly planned idea. Jason told me to do something different. And here I am dying. Damn you, Jason. But as he's waving his little clawed hand in the air at me, a boy walks by and goes, who's Jason? And why are you so far away from any source of water? And the crocodile goes, if you take me to the ocean, I'll do whatever you want. I'll repay you. The boy's like, okay, that sounds like a fair deal. First off, ah, talking crocodile. Secondly, sounds like a fair deal. He picks the crocodile up, takes him to the ocean. The crocodile goes, thank you, and swims away and begins to eat all aquatic life it can come across. Definitely an alpha predator. And now it's just eating Nemo. It's eating the Little Mermaid. It's eating through all of the Disney classics. It's eating Frozen somehow. But eventually it gets massive. It's this massive crocodile that's now swimming through the ocean. One day the boy stands on the shore and he goes, Hey, crocodile, crocodile, crocodile. I don't know. Does they can't? Okay, here's an interesting question. You yell in a cave, it echoes. You yell in a canyon, it echoes. And I understand. It's like your voice bouncing off the walls. It's like the sound waves like hitting the walls and coming back. I think that's how echoes work, right? You say something and your voice makes a sound wave and then it hits a wall and then bounces. Is that how Now that I think about it, how does an echo work? Here's my question. This is considering I don't really know how echoes work. If you yell at it, let's assume that echoes work to think the way I think they do. It's your voice bouncing off the walls. Because you don't echo in the middle of nowhere. Like, you don't echo, like, if you're in the plains. But can you echo in a forest because your voice is bouncing off trees? My question is, this is my question. If you yelled at the ocean and the waves are really big, would you hear an echo? Now, okay, I know you're saying if the waves are really big, you won't be able to even hear your own voice. Theoretically, if the waves made no noise... Would you hear an echo from it bouncing off the waves? Or would your voice go through the water? And actually, that's interesting because I know for a fact that your voice travels more well over water. It also interrupts your grammar, makes you have bad grammar. Anyways, so the big crocodile comes back to the boy and goes, what do you want? And the boy, the boy's like, that's a little rude. So I only saved your life, jerk. Crocodile's like, sorry, sorry. What do you want? <laughs> I mean, here, I'll help you out. So the boy goes, I want to sail around the world. Crocodile and the boy go all around the world, and eventually, after a couple of years, the crocodile goes, that was a fun adventure, but I gotta die now. Like, I'm, you've rode me until I died of old age. But then he says this. This is a quote from the crocodile. In memory of your kindness, I will turn myself into a beautiful island where you and your children can live until the sun sinks in the sea and he dies and he the crocodile actually becomes east timor it is a giant island somewhere near australia so that is the creation myth for how the island came to be now obviously it's one of those creation myths that would be really easy to debunk just keep digging if you never hit alligator guts i'm sorry Crocodile guts, you know that uh, you know, you're an atheist. You know that the crocodile didn't really turn into the island. But 
So on East Timor, they believe that crocodiles are their benefactors. There is this thing. Here's a quote from the creation myth as well. It says, Now when the people of East Timor swim in the ocean, they enter the water saying, Don't eat me, crocodile. I am your relative. So they have a bond with the crocodile. Now that story all took place at the beginning of time. And they really do say, uh, don't eat me, crocodile, I am your relative. Now let's fast forward to 2019, where crocodile attacks <laughs> crocodile attacks are astronomically high. Now, I'm gonna right now they're at one a month, and you're like, that's not too bad. That's actually it's now like five times you're five times more likely in East Timor to get attacked by a crocodile than you are to contract malaria, which was originally their number one problem over there. And they're thinking, the logic is this, they're getting one attack, a crocodile attack, a month. It used to be one a year. And sometimes there's two or three crocodile attacks. Now, here's the thing. Because the people of East Timor consider crocodiles to be their relatives, to be, there's temples all over for crocodiles. They consider it a bad omen or that you've sinned if a crocodile attacks you, uh, people are thinking there's actually more crocodile attacks and people are just covering it up. They're like, hey, Sal, uh, what happened to your leg? He's like, oh, I ran into a doorknob. They're like, did the doorknob have 20 teeth? Uh, yeah, it was a fancy doorknob. I mean, their legs just shredded. They think people are covering up their their crocodile attacks. People are walking around missing an arm. Uh, no, no, I, was, I wasn't born with an arm. They're like, why are you bleeding so much? Uh... Why are you asking so many questions? So, people are getting this. The article that I read this from, it starts off with this woman. She's got attacked by a crocodile, and she got away, and then she turned, and four crocodiles ate a child right in front of her. I mean, it's a serious problem. And what makes it even weirder is the people of the island are like, those aren't our crocodiles. Our crocodiles from East Timor are our descendants, or ancestors, whichever way. Their family, these have to be crocodiles coming from somewhere else. So they've actually started this whole study where crocodiles, crocodiles apparently can't swim across the ocean because they're just these massive creatures. And so people are like, listen, I know these crocodiles. I was raised by these crocodiles. I went to school with these crocodiles. Damn it. It's not our crocodiles. So what's happening is they're finding the, because you can't hurt them either. It's a cultural thing. You can't then. If a, if a crocodile eats a baby, you can't then just bash the crocodile's head in. It is like a deity. It'd be the equivalent of if your uncle ate your baby, you, well, technically you probably could bash in your uncle's head, but generally, no, I guess that is what you would do if your uncle, first off, you'd wonder, why did you eat my baby? But there's laws and stuff, but I guess not always. I guess for the most part, we do bash in people's heads if they eat babies. But it would be worse to attack a crocodile than it would be to attack a murderer. Because it's like a, a... Your uncle might have eaten your baby, but your uncle didn't grow to be 10 miles long, die in the ocean, and become an island. So that's the difference. The crocodiles are responsible for the birth of your people. Your uncle is just somebody who is related to your mom. Big difference, big difference. One is an island, and the other one is just a dude. Both ate babies, though. So, the the scientists are like, they're not our crocodiles. So, as they're catching these crocodiles, they're testing them to see if they're coming from Australia or anywhere else. 
And every test they've run so far has said, no, these are local crocodiles. All the crocodiles that they have found are local. And it was weird. The scientist goes, that's not proof. We got to keep testing these crocodiles because eventually we'll find an Australian one and then we'll know the truth. So they're just going to keep testing these until they find an interloper and then blame all the attacks on them. But yeah, weird story. Crocodile attacks on the rise. People denying that it's local crocodiles. It must be immigrant crocodiles. And you can't do anything about it. Otherwise, you're basically beating up a god. Which, to be fair, would be would be kind of dope. You know what? I should do a YouTube series. I should do a YouTube series where I travel around the world and beat up sacred animals. I go, so of course you go to India and you like wrestle a cow. First off, let's assume that I'm able to fight any of these creatures. Because I think a cow would wreck me. I think a human fighting a cow, like barehanded. Like if you got put, not a bull, but a straight up like dairy cow. Those things are huge. And what you would do to make the fight interesting is you would, I would have to like hide their young behind me. Or, like, rub something on me that would make it seem like I ate their children. Something. Because otherwise the cow would just kind of hang out. But I could fight a cow in India. I could fight an alligator in East Timor. This is a bad idea anyway. This is shaping up to be a really bad idea. What What other sacred animals are there? I'm sure somebody worships, like, a king emperor penguin or something like that. I'd love to fight one of those dudes. Like a giant penguin. And then, um, I'm sure I could find some cult. In Greenland, who like worships a manatee? That would be the episode where I put on the scuba suit and punch a manatee a bunch of times. That'd be pretty awesome too. Sacred animal fights. That don't steal that idea. And actually, speaking of speaking of YouTube channels, guys, I had a vision. We and I'm probably going to be talking about this quite a lot. We are on the precipice of this show really, really taking off. Really, really taking off. And what I need from you guys is to help get the word out. Yes, supporting the Patreon is awesome, and I'm very thankful of that. Buying the merch is awesome, and very thankful of that. But I really need you guys to help get the word out about the show. If you go to deadrabbit.com, you can download flyers to help put around your town, coffee shops, school campus. If you're visiting home for the holidays, put them up there. If you can't do the flyers, just recommend the show to your friends and family. That honestly does so much for the show. And if you guys really want to keep supporting the show, that's the best way to do it. Let's go ahead, though. And I'm probably going to be bringing, I'm probably going to be doing a little 10 second ads like that for the next, for, for a while, because I really, really want to grow this show. I really, and I think you guys do too. But let's go ahead and move on to our last story. For the night. Now, our last story, we're headed to Spain. Let's say goodbye to the to the we're leaving an arena where there's like a beat up emperor penguin with a little 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 sling on his little wing and a manatee He's just like and then what else did he beat up? A cow. You guys are like Jason, I don't I'm not gonna celebrate you. I'm not promoting your show. You just beat up a penguin. Then you asked me to put up flyers, you're a jerk. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, no, you put up the flyers before I beat up the penguin. This is all happening, and this is not linear time. So anyways, thank you for putting up those flyers. The penguin's like, ah, tearing them down. Penguin's ripping them up. We're leaving behind this arena of sacred animals that I've fought. And we are going back to Spain. What is it with Spain? 
And you know what's funny is I said I have three episodes. So we did yesterday's episode was about fat extractors, kind of the quick overview. And I said I got three episodes. I actually have so much stories out of Spain about people eating fat or stealing fat. I don't even know what to do with all of them. And they're all just shockingly bizarre. But a quick overview for those of you who missed yesterday's episode. Spain has a problem. They have a lot of myths and legends about people who rip out human fat. They're called sacamentecas, which means fat extractor. They actually have a word for it. So the fact that if someone over here was scooping out people's fat, we would just say, oh, they that's disgusting. And two, that's a fat extractor. Spain has such a problem with it, they have multiple names for it. They have a fat extractor, and then they have one other one. It's for someone who sells the fat. It's actually a different occupation. But we're going to delve a little bit more into why they have... Well, actually, no, we're not, because I can't figure out why they have such a problem with this, except for the fact that there have been multiple real-life serial killers who ripped the fat out of people. Now... Here's the thing. Part of what they, when they are talking about fat being ripped out, one of the things they're talking about is all of the intestines as well. So they have a problem not only with people eating fat, but with devouring intestines, ripping intestines out of the stomach. If you're, if you happen to be eating sausages, I'd go ahead and put those down. I'd go ahead and just move those away. If you happen to be eating beef stroganoff, pretty much anything involving meat, just put it away. Put it away. Because we're going to Spain. Let's take a look at a little man. And you're going to go like, that's condescending. No, this man, well, first off, he deserves to be condescended to. But we're going to talk to this little man. We're not going to talk to him, actually. He's a total lunatic. We're going to meet a man named Manuel Blanco Roma Santa. So let's hop in the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind the arena of broken animals. We're flying to Spain. It's the mid-1850s. And Manuel Blanco Romasanta is being led through town in handcuffs. He's been arrested for the murders of nine people. And the police are marching him to the police department. They take him in, they throw him in a cell. (laughs) Shut the door on him. They're like, why'd you do it, Manuel? Why'd you do it? And he looks at him through the bars of the cell and goes, I had no choice. It's what werewolves do. Guards are like, what? Guy's like, yes, I'm a werewolf. Let me go back in time and tell you my origin story and fill you in on the story of Manuel the werewolf. True story, by the way. And the cops are like, of course it's a true story. We're living it right now. Manuel waves his hand, waves his paw, and teleports him back before they can protest anymore. The year is 1809, and and Manuel is born. And they take the little baby and they go, Aw, I named thee Manuela, because you're obviously a woman, a little baby girl. And for the first six years, Manuel was Manuela and was raised as a girl. And then and, and then when she turned six, the doctor goes, Ooh, made a mistake. Uh, this is a dude. This is a little man. So they just changed this. They took the A off, which I guess is one of the best things about the Spanish language. You're like, oh, you're a boy now. Remove one letter. There you go. So then he became Manuel. Quite confusing. Now, it's weird because he apparently is a dude. He had a beard when he was arrested. 
but he was only between the height of four foot six to four foot eleven. So a tiny, tiny man. And they he was described as tender looking, which is gross. Which is gross for any adult to be listed as tender oh, tender looking. Actually, for any human. I mean, that's what you describe hamburger meat. Anyways, tender looking. Now, he is actually Spain's first recorded serial killer. And this is all happening in the late 1800s. So before this, of course, there probably were serial killers. But nobody that they ever caught. Started off working as a dressmaker. Then he became a traveling salesman. And then he goes, you know what? I really enjoy walking. And I know everywhere around Spain. I'm going to be a guide. I'm going to guide people over the hills and through the woods to Grandma's house if they want to go there. Maybe Teddy Bear Picnic somewhere. And I will guide them through all the wilderness. I will basically be Aragorn. But but I'm also eating human fat in in the future. In the future. In 1844, some dude comes to Manuel to collect a debt. Manuel kills him. Now, that's a confirmed kill. And it it wasn't like suspicious circumstances. This dude's head was bashed in. Manuel was the last person to see him alive. He leaves town. Now, he's actually tried in absentia for like involuntary manslaughter. Cops are looking for him. Can't find him. Now, he reemerges under a new name in a different province in Spain. He's working as a cook. He's working as a weaver. It's interesting because he does a lot of jobs which would be considered feminine, which makes me think that he might have been trying, he might have, and a lot of the men in town kind of mocked him for being a feminine. So he might have, he was also married though to a woman. So he, it was just kind of a weird, like he could have been trying to blend in as a woman as well, but I guess the beard would make it kind of difficult back then. But there was definitely this weird thing going on where on the one hand he was married to a woman and nowadays uh, let me back up here nowadays you have many men who are weavers and make dresses and stuff like that but back in the 1800s spain it was definitely odd to have a man be a weaver or to make dresses so anyways he he kind of worked his way into society where men considered him effeminate and women basically considered him not a threat. So when he started to become a guide again in this new province, his main people that he was guiding through the wilderness were women and children. Very, very slight effeminate man who's going to be afraid of this dude. And what would happen was he would lead these women and children off into the woods, over these hills, going somewhere. And then the family... So they leave Town A, Town A, famous town in Spain, resort town. It's where all the kids go to do drugs. They leave Town A, and then they go to Town B, and then he would bring back a letter to Town A being like, oh, your loved ones got to this town safely. Here's a letter proving that. And they're like, oh, that's really nice. And it's really nice, too. It's obviously in your in your handwriting. It's so nice. You wrote it for them. He's like, yes, I, they dictated the letter to me. But over time, people started to get suspicious. Because people would go to Town B, and they would never return. Or you would then go and follow them at some point with a different guide, and they wouldn't be there. Now, at one point, he gets suspected of killing these people. For whatever reason, someone finally gets, what's the term? A stick in their craw, or a needle in their paw, or something like that. A stick in their craw, I think it is. Anyway, somebody finally gets something somewhere and goes, I think he's murdering these people. And then this weird, again, it's something to do with Spain. This guide is leading people over the mountains. 
People are not ending up where they're expected to be. Therefore, he's eating their he's eating their fat. That is that is mixed in with the conspiracy. Also, they accuse him of ripping their fat out to make soap. Because what happens is he's going over the mountain and then coming back with really nice soap. Bars of soap. What? No, I, I've always had these bars of soap. They're like, why is one labeled woman and one labeled child? He's like, because this one's for a kid and this one's for a woman. And they're like, yeah, I guess that works. But he keeps going. He leads a family of four over. He comes back with four bars of soap. They start to find suspicious. He always has fancy soap with him. Really, really nice soap. And people are going missing. And he's in Spain where people assume that at any point, your next door neighbor can start eating your fat and using your fat to make soaps. Now, this is where the story gets super, super weird. You're like, Jason, this is just a standard true crime. Dude, this story really trips me out. He gets arrested. And he admits to the murders. He goes, I killed nine people. They go, we're pretty sure you killed these nine people. This combination of this mother and this daughter, or this mother and these two kids. Yes, I killed nine people. I admit I took nine people out onto a trips. And they died. And I killed them. I killed these nine people. I admit to it. I, I, I have to assuage my guilt. But it's because of the curse of the werewolf. We'll get to that in a second. So the people, <laughs> the police are like, no, tell us about the werewolf curse now. But first, they go and they find the nine bodies. So he admits to nine murders. They find nine bodies out in the wilderness. This is what he says. I'm a werewolf. We'll get back to that. He says he's a werewolf. And here is his quote. The first time I transformed was in the mountains of Kuso. I came across two ferocious looking wolves. I suddenly fell to the floor and began to feel convulsions. I rolled over three times and a few seconds later I was a wolf. I was out marauding with the other two for five days until I returned to my own body. The one you see before you today, your honor. The other two wolves came with me, who I thought were also wolves, changed into human form. They were from Valencia. One was called Antonio and the other one Don Gennaro. They too were cursed. We attacked and ate a number of people because we were hungry. Now he didn't actually howl in the courtroom. But that was, he was actually telling the judge that. He's like, listen, I'm a werewolf. I saw a bunch of wolves. I saw two other wolves started rolling around on the ground, became a wolf, ate a bunch of people. Now, the judge said, very, very, this is what anyone would say in, in this sort of situation. Turn into a werewolf now. Now, the, <laughs> now your answer could be, well, it's not a full moon, or it's the middle of the day, or if you have a delicious baby I could eat, maybe. But his answer was probably the best answer I've ever heard. He goes, well, your honor, I was cursed to be a werewolf for 13 years, and the curse ended two weeks ago. So, I'm not cursed as a werewolf anymore. I can't. If you had arrested me two weeks ago, I would have easily turned into a werewolf in front of you, your honor. But you didn't. So, bully for you. I'm, I, I can't do it. Now, He's obviously found guilty. 
because basically he's admitted to these nine murders and he can't turn into a werewolf. He Not only can he not turn into a werewolf, it's the late 1800s. People are having a hard time believing in werewolves. But there's a belief that he might simply have some sort of mental illness like lycanthropy. That's not mental illness, but, you know, like turning into getting all hairy and stuff like that. Maybe he got bonked on the head and looked in the mirror. He was hairy, started running around eating people. Who knows? Some of the people were saying that he was sane. He was just a brutal killer. He had no, he just really wanted some fancy soap. He was ripping these people's intestines out. He was eating their fat. And the fat he didn't eat was turning into soap. He's a sacramenteca. He's a mantequero, which means fat seller. This guy was just a sicko. He was just a disgusting man. He's sentenced to death. And what happens is a psychiatrist ends up going through his contacts and finally is able to talk to Queen Isabella II and says, I think this guy needs to be studied. I think he might actually have lycanthropy. I'm not saying that he can actually turn into a werewolf, but there might be something about this guy that should be, we shouldn't kill him, basically. Let's not kill him because I think we need to study his mental state. It might help us learn more about weirdos and people who believe they're werewolves and stuff like that. And Queen Isabella II was actually quite curious about this case. So she did. She had him commuted to life in prison. But he ended up dying 10 years later of stomach cancer. Now, they some people say that he died because a guard at prison shot him. He wanted to see him turn into a werewolf. That doesn't really work. Hey, become a vampire. What? <laughs> Blow his brains out? Oh, I guess it didn't work. Like, you kind of got to give him some time, you know. Let him go out during the full moon. Maybe Delicious Baby can have him shift. Who knows? just can't shoot a guy, turn in a werewolf, and just blow his brains out. But anyways, most likely, because there's not a lot of records for his death, the most commonly accepted thing is that he died of stomach cancer. Here's what trips me out about this story. This this part is so weird. And I'm reading about this, and it's totally glossed over. And I was like, wait, wait, what? I had to reread it a couple times because there's no... There's no way to explain this other than really there's two ways, and one's, they're both totally illogical. He admitted to nine murders, but he was only convicted of five of them. So he goes in and he he left with all of the people he took out on tour guides. Nine people didn't make it to their destination. He was the last person seen with them. He says, by name, I killed these nine people. And they were all people who left with him. He showed them the locations or told them the locations of nine bodies. The authorities go out there. They find nine bodies. He was only convicted of five murders. Why, you ask? Because five of them, they could tell that their heads were bashed in or they were stabbed to death, and their guts, their intestines are all ripped out. Five of them, they could tell, were actually murdered. The other four bodies that left with him, that he admitted to, and that he showed them the locations of the bodies. When the authorities got there, they said these people died of wolf attacks. They were not murdered. They were not stabbed. They were not beaten. These four bodies were eaten by wolves. 
not after death. They were killed by a wolf. And this guy is not a werewolf. Werewolves don't exist. The fact that he knew where these bodies were, that he was the last person to see them, but he didn't kill them because he's not a werewolf. These people died of a wolf attack. There's only two ways that this could... Because, again, it's not like he stumbled across these people. He left a town with them. Knew their names. So if he'd been walking through the wilderness and saw a body attacked by a wolf and goes, I'm going to take credit for that one, because I'm a werewolf. It wasn't that. He, he was guiding these people out. There's only two options. There's only two ways that he could have known where those bodies were at, and he walked with them. There... Either he let them get attacked by a wolf on purpose, and the wolf did not attack him four times, four separate incidents. He was able to lead a body to a path where a wolf would attack him, attack them, and would not attack him in turn. And then left the body there. And then admitted to that murder and not just said, oh, that guy just got attacked by a wolf. I didn't kill that woman. That was a wolf attack. These bodies were unmolested after death. They were 100% wolf attacks killed by wolves. I have to keep setting that in. Because the only other option is, if he leaves town with them, knows where the body is at, admits to the murder, but when the cops get there, they say this person was not murdered, they were killed by a wolf. The only logical answer left is that Manuel was a werewolf. And he killed them in wolf form. Because that's the only way everything makes sense. He leaves town with them. He knows their name. He finds them in a location. He turns into a wolf. He kills them. He feels guilty for that murder. And considers that the same thing as when he bashed that other person open. And ripped their intestines out. Was Manuel actually a werewolf? We'll never know. Most likely, logically, no. But it's the only way this story makes sense. I find it odd that this detail is so glossed over. But it kind of makes sense. Because werewolves don't exist, right? Even when someone admits to a murder, multiple murders that only a wolf could have committed. Werewolves don't exist, right? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>